0: You're by my perfect fight, my perfect life. Welcome to the Lanky Guys. My name is Father Peter. Hello, hello, hello. And my name is Scott Powell. Scott, you. you're totally unimpressed with that introduction. No, I'm, Im-, no I'm always sh- impressed. I'm just not shocked by it. I'm oh. impressed by it. I... I'm not shocked by it. Either.
1: You're, it's no. par for the course. It's it's it is it is. I expect nothing less from you. I have high standards for the ways in which you're going to open our podcast, dude. So it's not a lack of being impressed. It's just no. That's that's how you roll, and I'm cool with that, dude. Okay, I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna say something here. Did we say okay? Sorry, this is the word on the hill. We're the lanky guys. I'm Scott. <laughs> you're Father Peter. <laughs>
0: We're cool. All right. Station identification out of the way. <laughs>
1: it is thirty-two degrees in beautiful Boulder, Colorado.
0: Okay. So the presentation of the Lord—that's the feast that we're approaching this coming Sunday. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Two, two, twenty twenty. What? Why? Why? What? O two O two two zero two zero. Is this the date? That's the date. Two
1: two twenty twenty.
0: Okay. All right. I mean, that's a pretty phenomenal like date, and we all know why that's significant, right? Because two is the magic number. <laughs> That's right. I've got nothing. <laughs> That's th- three is the magic number, sucker. Well, um, you guys, this is the Feast of the Presentation of the Lord. Yes, um, it is. Our first reading is from the book of Malachi. I was wondering if you were going to sing it. But you didn't. <laughs> Malachi. Malachi, uh, chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 4.
1: Our responsorial psalm is coming from Psalm 24, verse 7, 8. 9 and 10, but With not pres- 7 through 10.
0: With the response coming from number 8.
1: Oh, very good. Our second reading is from of, Hebrews. What? That's not yours. It's mine. No. <clears throat> no, you no just why did, am I you speaking just, so
0: high-pitched? You just did the song. Oh,
1: you're right, but you used it do the responsorial, the sponsor. No, I do the first reading and I you know, did but, the song. No, I know that, but you said the response itself. <laughs> That's what threw me off. Oh, a You stole that from me. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 through 18. What do you think of that, sucker? Sucka. Sucker, S- sucker, sucker. Doesn't like, sound as interesting when you say sucker.
0: <laughs> it really re- like it's if you put the, if you put the R on the end. you're Hey like, you sucker, hey sucker. Actually, I was walk- <laughs> I was I was deplaning the other day from an airplane. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's what deplaning means. <laughs> and, Tell me more. And I looked over
1: and like some. It's something that you said deplaning instead of deplaning.
0: Deplaning. I, I don't. <laughs> What's the difference between deplaning no, and deplaning? There's not one. Continue. <laughs> so, I am <I'm> deplaning <laughs> and I look over and somebody had literally just dropped a lollipop directly on the floor. Did you eat it? No. Did you put it in your mouth? No, but seeing a sucker like on the floor like that, I was like I was like that is the technical definition of dirty, just like a sucker stuck to carpet. What is that's a great story. What was it in relation to? You Why did you start telling that? Sucker, you used the R oh, at the end. Thank you. I, I literally couldn't remember how we got there. Lollipop sucker. Got it. No, yep. I'm there.
1: I'm there. Thank you. Okay, Our so gospel is coming from, from Luke, Luke she- 22
0: to 2240. <laughs> Just
1: say it right. I'm not going to take it from you. <laughs> you
0: took Hebrews from no, no, me. You can't take the gospel. You have the gospel. <laughs> Go for it. So on... Say Two twenty two twenty twenty. We have Luke two twenty two to forty. Wow.
1: Oh. Okay. All right.
0: So here's what we got to do. I, I
1: Malachi. I want to, uh, if if you would indulge me, indulge me, for indulge. I want to give a, a tiny bit of historical context into the book of Malachi. Okay. Which funny, funnily, funnily, funnily we've been doing this that, podcast. Is that,
0: like a, is that like a cake? A funnily, a funnily cake. cake.
1: It's fairly funnily. Okay. I don't feel like I've, we've ever done the context of Malachi before, which is surprising to me because we've been doing this podcast for so long. No, but we've got. I'm to sure have we done have.
0: It. Yes.
1: Okay. Maybe it is. So Malachi. The reason I want to. I want to take a sec to talk about Malachi. Malachi falls toward the very end of, a, of an incredibly unique time period in salvation history, right? So okay. he's a contemporary of Ezra and Nehemiah, if you remember them, yes, and the prophets Zechariah and Haggai. So he kind of falls in the same time. So um, if, you, if you put Malachi in his proper time frame, so we're just after the period where Israel was hauled off into exile in Babylon. So we had the Babylonian exile. When they were taken into slavery, Jerusalem was destroyed. Um, but this is the point after the exiles have now been freed. The Persian Empire has set them free and allowed them to go back home. They've rebuilt the temple. They finished the temple in about 516, I think, under a guy named Zerubbabel. Which,
0: uh, which why do people kid not their, name their kids Zerubbabel? Is my everybody, everybody I know has a Zerubbabel. Zub
1: did? Do you guys not know any Zubes?
0: <laughs> Zub too. Zuby. So Zerubbabel, he, the,
1: the temple is finished. It's rebuilt, again, early five 500s in um 450 BC that is that's BC before remember, Christ
0: uh, not not BCE before common era I hate that
1: I know it's um okay yeah when I do academic papers and stuff I have to use it which kind of hurts my soul but yeah you speak you you are all things to all people that is our job right yeah um but but we have to remember BC always works backwards right the numbers go in reverse because we're working down in BC to zero and then in Jesus birth we start going upwards It always throws me off that numbers work backwards. You know what I want to do?
0: I want to do an experiment to where I consider the Christ event chiastic and look for the chiastic structures within history itself. I like that. I support it. It's like a palindrome. It's like watching the movie Arrival. Okay, so tell me about Malachi. Okay, so uh, so the temple's
1: rebuilt, 500s, right? In uh, year 458, Ezra, who is the priest, he returns to Jerusalem. Several thousand more Jewish people come back from exile with him. There, there are waves of return from exile, yep. right? Um, there's a guy named King Artaxerxes. He's the king of Persia. And he actually encourages not only the the rebuilding of the temple, but he wants temple worship. He wants the Jews to go back to worshiping their God and and doing things. Part of it is because he wants more taxes off of their tithes. But, you know, and, and for whatever reason, or for, for one reason or another, God's will is being done. And and even a pagan king is actually encouraging that. Um, he There is a sort of resurgence in returning to the old laws, recovering Deuteronomy, trying to be Israel again and, and live like we were supposed to live. Um, in the year 445, Nehemiah, so Ezra and Nehemiah, right? Okay. Nehemiah was the king of Persia's cupbearer. So he was a big wig. In the Persian king's household, he's allowed to return to Jerusalem and he rebuilds. The temple has been rebuilt. So Nehemiah's job is to rebuild the city itself. He rebuilds the walls of Jerusalem. He becomes the governor, right? So Nehemiah, he was good. He was righteous. He was a good leader. And he spearheaded these massive reforms. He helped the poor. He helped people to shun uh, mixed marriages with pagans, which was leading to idolatry and stuff. He helped them to keep the Sabbath again. He encouraged them to tithe faithfully to bring offerings to the temple. So things are really good, right? Under right. Nehemiah. Then in the year 433, something happens, right? Nehemiah has to go back to Persia, he has to go back and finish. Some unfinished business up with the Persian king, right? So he promised to go back and kind of finish what he was doing. So he goes up to to Persia for a while, and as the saying goes, as the as the what as the saying, um, while the while the mouse is no, while the while, while the cat, cat is away, the mouse will play the mice will play. That's <laughs> that, right? Does they may say that anymore? Probably yes, not. No. So, so while he's gone, this great Jewish leader, the Israelite people fall back into their sin, right? And so by the time Nehemiah comes back, he discovers that tithes are being ignored, the Sabbath is being broken, people are intermarrying, people are divorcing, but more than anything, the priesthood has become corrupt, And the people that he left to sort of lead the people have become corrupt and sinful. And that is the context into which Malachi writes. That's the historical setting. Interesting. Into which Malachi writes. And so Malachi basically, and and this is, Malachi is the last of the Old Testament prophets before there is literally silence on the part of God until the birth of Jesus. So he's the last prophetic word to Israel spoken into this really kind of difficult period. It's it's funny that it should be as difficult as, as it is because, we've just, Israel has just come out of one of their greatest times of suffering. And they, for the first time, sort of realize, so it's after the exile that Israel, for the first time, really shuns idolatry. And and the whole narrative of the Old Testament salvation history begins to be turned. And Israel realizes, oh, that's what we've been doing wrong this whole time. We're going to reform. We're going to come back to God. We're going to turn around. And there's this kind of moment that they fail at that. And so, um, there's six themes, and I just noted this in my notes. There's six major themes in the book of Malachi as to the things that are going wrong in Israel. And so I'm going to rattle them off. So the first theme of Malachi is that the priesthood has become corrupt. Right? <laughs> priesthood is corrupt. Number two, worship has become routine. It's just common. You know, we're just going through the motions. Number three, divorce is endemic. Everyone's getting divorced. It's widespread. Number four, social justice has been forgotten. We're not caring for the poor. Number five, tithing has been neglected. And number six,
0: there's a crisis of fatherhood. Let me say that one more time. Gosh, so what you're saying is that uh, you're describing 2020? I mean, imagine, try to imagine a situation
1: (laughs) like this. (laughs) I mean, that's why I point those out. I mean, this is what's happening in Israel. The priesthood has become corrupt, great sin. Worship has become mundane. Divorce is endemic. Social justice is ignored. Tithing is rejected. And father, there's a crisis of fatherhood. Uh, Again, imagine a world like that. Which is where the knowing the context of the scriptures is so fruitful in our own lives in 2020 right. to see, oh, this message is supposed to resonate with us. And so, so much of Malachi is spent trying to recover all of this stuff that we were so close to getting back. All of our sin is what led us into slavery and exile because we trusted in things that were not God. And we, we felt the punishment. And so now we've started to turn back to the one thing that can save us right and now we're slipping right back into the old ways of being right Mm. and so what malachi says so we're we're right toward the end of malachi in chapter three by the way the name malachi do you know what malachi means in hebrew um green rock (laughs) is that a is that a pun i'm not getting
0: um there well there's a a, there's a malachi uh oh there's two types of 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 stone there's Malachite. I think like green. It's like a green stone. Really? Well, hold on. Like, oh, I,
1: I believe you. I didn't yeah, know that.
0: Though. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's
1: not what it means in Hebrew. Regardless. Okay. In Hebrew, it means messenger. So, Malachite. He, he, oh, Malachite. What? Yeah. I don't know that. I'm just pretending to know. Yeah, exactly.
0: Malachite is a green stone.
1: All right. Well, in Hebrew, it's uh, it means messenger. So check this out for a second. Get off your phone. I'm I'm checking it out. I'm not on my phone so looking at Malachi, Malachite. What is You read the readings, right? So the main thrust of our reading today from Malachi is that God is sending a messenger.
0: Right. So what does
1: Malachi's name mean? God sends a messenger. His name means messenger. So this is a messenger giving a message about a messenger. That's meta. Which I got a huge kick out of this morning. That's, and I was like, wait a second. That's
0: very meta Messenger, <laughs> Isn't a meta? Yeah, that's yeah, a stretch. It's that's a stretch. Uh, yeah, it's
1: hard. So what we get is, thus says the Lord, lo, I am sending my messenger. So literally in the Hebrew, it says, lo, I am sending my Malachi. I'm sending a Malachi to you. And Malachi like, so that's partially me. Because I'm a, I'm a Malachi giving you a Malachi about a Malachi.
0: <laughs> Which I, I just have unending humor with. So
1: God says, I'm sending my messenger to prepare the way before me. John so, the Baptist well,
0: is the first saw so, the first vision in this. No Malachi is. Because I mean, remember that oh yes. he's the second vision of it
1: in a certain sense. And I actually think that's important. So Malachi is like I am the messenger giving this message about something that is beyond me. And so yes, the Lord is sending a messenger. That that's me he says. And He's going to prepare a way, which is what Malachi is doing. Right. John the Baptist doesn't make any sense without Malachi. Right. So Malachi needed to prepare the way for John to prepare the way for Jesus. But the the twist and where you know that it can't be Malachi in his fullness is when it says, and suddenly there will come into the temple the Lord whom you seek. And that's such a resonant line Specifically in Malachi's time, because they have just, like I said, rebuilt the temple that was destroyed by the Babylonians. But what's the one big problem that the temple in the time of Malachi has? No ark. Right. And what's what's the significance of the ark? That's the presence of God within Israel. Right. So the, the whole purpose of having a temple was for God's presence to dwell among his people. And that presence, everyone in, in the time of Ezekiel, they saw the presence of God leave. It departed from the temple. And so everyone's assumption was, oh, shoot, God has abandoned us. He's left us on our own. He he doesn't love us anymore. He doesn't care for us. And they go into exile and they deal with their punishment. And then they come back and they rebuild the temple. But the one thing no one sees is God's presence return. Right. And so Malachi says, no someday, I am a messenger, but there's going to come another messenger. And in the time of this messenger, suddenly, and it's the suddenly that I'm struck by, the Lord is going to come back to his temple. The Lord whom you seek. Everybody in the time of Malachi is probably thinking, okay, we rebuilt this temple. We put all these resources and this work into building this thing, and God hasn't come back. So where is he? Like, we did the work. We did the thing we were supposed to do. We rebuilt the temple. So how, how come you haven't come? Right. And they're wondering when. And he's like, well, it will happen. The Lord who you desire, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who will endure the day of his coming? Who can take it? Who will stand when he, reappear, when he appears? Because he's like refiner's fire, like the fuller's lyle. He will sit refining and purifying silver. He will purify the sons of Levi, the priests Siller. who are corrupt. He will refine them like gold or civil, silver that they may offer due sacrifices to the Lord. Then the sacrifice of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord as in the days of old, as in years gone by. Last thing I want to say, and this is literally all I've got to say on Malachi. Okay. Malachi, with the exception of the book of Deuteronomy, is the only Old Testament book, not just prophets of, of everybody, the prophets, but everything else. It's the only test, Old Testament book that's addressed explicitly to all of Israel. Qua Israel, mm. So most of the prophets, right, they're either expressed to the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom. They're always ex- uh, uh, um, addressed to part of Israel. Right. So with the exception of Deuteronomy, which is considered the national constitution, Malachi is the only book that's addressed to all of Israel, which is strange because by the time Malachi is being written, most of Israel is gone. It's been lost. It's been wiped out. The tribes have been obliterated and intermarried and lost to all of history and humanity. Mm. So it's interesting that Malachi, the last prophetic book, the last book in the Old Testament before you get to Maccabees and stuff, is addressed to the whole of Israel. Most of which, for all intents and purposes, doesn't exist at this point,
0: which I think is interesting. (laughs) Okay, so this is this is really wild. I've been okay. I've been meditating on the idea of the image of God. Okay. So as soon as we talk about the refiner fire, refiner's fire, um, you're talking about taking a crucible, so which is a which is like a like a ceramic style dish, and heating it very hot so that you can put molten metal into it. Okay. As you have molten metal, I'm a, I'm a jeweler and I've been actually doing, I've been making tiny chalices actually. That's been my, um, that's been my most recent project. <laughs> They're very cool. They the are very cool and I'm, I'm getting them refined, which is, <laughs> ah. uh, but as, as you refine metal, one of the things that you do is you, you take it and, and refining is actually getting the dross out of it. It's getting the impurities from ah, what yeah. is not actually the metal out of it because yeah. everything comes from ore. There's, there's a mix in it. Okay. So you heat it up and then and then as you heat it up different things melt within the metal and yeah. it, and it, and um and so you take it and you have rods that that actually have the dross cling to it and you pull it out of this metal that you're refining so you have pure metal. Okay. You can tell that you have pure metal when it when it becomes a totally reflective surface. Oh. Okay. So a refiner's fire, the refiner knows that he has refined the the metal sufficiently once he can see his image in it like a mirror. Oh, the refiner. The once refiner. the refiner himself can Re- see the image. Right, and so he, oh, who can stand when he appears, for he is like the refiner's oh. fire, and so he, so he is the refiner, and he's gonna he's gonna totally take mm. your form, and he's gonna melt you down. Oh boy. So much so that he's going to pull out that which has actually been intermixed and mingled with you. And this is a whole people that have become what? Intermixed and mingled yeah. with the nations around right. them from right. from Babylon, from Persia, Assyria, Assyria the 10 northern tribes yeah. all over the place. They, they've actually been intermingled. And so mm. as he's doing this, why? Because he wants to restore the image and likeness of the people to mm-hmm. the, the image and likeness that he has to the people, which is what? The two things. Of intellect and will, so reason and freedom, Mm. so intellect and will, reason and freedom, Hmm. and and the only so so that he's actually only he's not going to stop until they actually become reasonable and free again.
1: He's not going to stop until they become reasonable and free again. OK, yeah,
0: that's just, that's and so so then the sacrifice of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord because there's o- the only sacrifice that works is one that is a reasonable and free offering. Yeah, not a compelled okay. and, and not not a, a stingy. Okay. or OK, that's
1: good. This is good. Yeah, so I'm trying.
0: I'm I'm thinking ahead. Yeah, yeah, so I'm, not, I'm not thinking ahead. I
1: am, I am, and that this is interesting. That's that, that's fascinating what you say. And then 97 yeah. comes back in.
0: re fire. <laughs> Here we go. Are My you wearing that shirt? My one desire is to be holy. I really, really like that song, by the way. I kind of do, too. Yeah. Uh, that's why I can't bring myself to make fun of it. I'm not making fun of it. I'm just singing it in a silly way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making fun of it. I'm just <laughs> singing it in a mocking tone. <laughs> Um, our responsorial psalm
1: The is, king of glory comes, a nation rejoices. Yeah, that's what we are. But uh, the context, and I only have one thing to say about this, but it's significant. Okay. I have three things to say, <laughs> but they're all significant. So... Psalm twenty four. The historic. I like you went from one. To, well, I to, have like, one. I only
0: got one thing to say. I only got three things to say. I well, only have six things to say. Okay? I have one
1: thing, but then there's two subpoints to it. I've got sixteen things. Actually, know.
0: I'm going to use the, the the formula of chaos. <laughs> I'm going to say everything I possibly can of anything. I have about entropy. This.
1: No, so Psalm twenty four originally it, you the you can, the, can take Pepto abysmal for that, by the way. Entropy. If you have entropy. I don't, I don't get, get it. it. It's, it's, I, I'm sure it's funny, but I don't. Get <laughs> <it>. <laughs> so the historical context of Psalm 24 is um, it's a liturgical a bel- psalm. It's believed to be the liturgical psalm that was sung or or perhaps written even when David finally brought the Ark of the Covenant into the Temple in Jerusalem when it was finally finished and settled as the capital. That's cool. Um, which is really cool. So it's it's it's, it's uh, traditionally what you the Jewish people would be thinking about when they thought about God coming to his temple coming into so again in the context of Malachi what's everybody waiting for and
0: hoping for for God to come back to this temple that we rebuilt well, his house we we built it come back to us but let's actually talk about the fact that David couldn't couldn't actually make the temple He's Oh so a, Solomon Solomon sorry, made my the bad. Solomon made the temple because David was not allowed to actually do that uh,
1: you is, know what I think I think I misspoke I'm sorry I, miss, I think I misspoke I think it's it's believed to have been written when David brought the ark to Jerusalem Oh, and maybe okay. that's a significant difference. So I said the temple offhandedly, but i, I, I that wasn't correct. Well, because you saw in Malachi that the Lord will suddenly come to come the temple. Come to the temple. But this psalm was traditionally believed to be written when David brought the Ark to Jerusalem, long before, before the temple was built. Because before there was a temple, they brought the whole tent of meeting, the Ark of the Covenant, up to Jerusalem, and it was settled there. And so in the Christian tradition, this psalm is often meant to make us think of the ascension, when Jesus, after his crucifixion and his resurrection, ascends into heaven to enter into the temple of God, the heavenly Jerusalem, right? Right. And so I think, based on that fact that the Christian tradition often uses this to think about the ascension into the heavenly Jerusalem, that we actually use it today to reflect on something else, a different entrance into a different temple, When Jesus, when the God of the universe actually does come into the temple of the time of Malachi, that everybody had been waiting and wondering when he would come back to. Mm. So I'll I'll leave it at that for now.
0: Yeah. And
1: that'll take us to Hebrews.
0: I have to say that, that there's something really powerful about the idea of a building that is made that does not have at its core the presence that is needed to make it full. To make the building what it's supposed to be. Right, exactly. Which is which is really actually kind of what intellect like image and likeness of God does not actually imply the relationship. It only implies a structure.
1: Image and likeness. Okay. So yeah, what that's, is, I think is, that's true. Is freedom right. and
0: freedom and will actually ha- has an orientation towards relationship, but it in and of itself is not relationship. So we have the structure in every one of our
1: beings, right. of human beings, as the image and likeness of God. We are built for relationship. Absolutely. We are built as the receptacles of his life. Right. But that doesn't necessitate that we actually share his life. We actually have to make that choice. We have to say yes to that. To that relationship.
0: Is that, is that fair to say? That is fair to say.
1: Even though we are still built as temples. Right. Until we say yes, we're like the temple of Malachi's time. Mm. And even well into Jesus's time that was built for the purpose of housing God's presence, but was empty. Right. We can actually live that way. Yes. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so we're okay. Well, that that actually does bring us I think in a pretty neat way to Hebrews. And we're in the beginning of Hebrews. So Hebrews, the, the whole deal with Hebrews, which we've talked about before, Hebrews is written, again, to the Hebrews. So it, it's it's not one of the books of the New Testament. There's a lot of letters that are written to certain communities, right? Certain geographic locales, right? So Corinth right. or Rome or Ephesus, which are all places. This is written to a group, an ethnic group, an ethno-religious l- group of people.
0: Kind of like Malachi kind of like Malachi, which is written to Hebrews. Yeah, that's true. It's written to the whole Hebrew, to Israel. Oh, to all of Israel. Oh,
1: oh, ooh, that's a good connection. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. So if you consider what's going on in Hebrews, it's written to all of the Hebrews, which it's making this case. So so what I think was going on in the book of Hebrews is that it's written to, it's written probably right around the time that probably right before the Jewish Roman War, maybe right into the beginnings of the Jewish Roman War, when you have all of Judaism of the time, post Jesus, right post Jesus, post his ascension, preparing to go to war against Rome, Mm -hmm. who is sick of their little insurgencies, who's sick of their rebellions, who's sick of them saying, we are meant to be our own people and nation. And Rome says, no, you are not. You are subjugated to us. And as this is happening, you have this group of Jewish believers of Jesus who know explicitly as their whole ethnicity, as their race, as their people are going to war against the most powerful empire of the day, they know, well, wait a second, I'm a follower of Jesus, though, and I've read the Gospels. And the Gospels, he says explicitly that when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, you're to flee to the hills when someone strikes you on one cheek to turn the other, that you are to forgive your enemies and pray for your persecutors. And everybody around me is preparing to go to war with our persecutors and enemies. But Jesus seemed to be saying something different. So am I allowed to fight in this war? And if I don't go to war with my kinspeople, am I going to be seen as a traitor or a weakling or someone who has turned their back on their people? And so the letter to the Hebrews is this word of encouragement. It calls itself a word of exhortation to basically say, look, if you have professed yourself to Jesus, if you've been baptized, if you've been entered into this new covenant relationship with the God who has always been, who has made himself present in a new way, then there's no going back. And I bet you there were a whole lot of people saying, oh, man, this is really hard. Every one of my family members, my neighbors, my coworkers and everybody else thinks that I'm a traitor. And I am um, being untrue to my own people because I won't fight in this war for the holy city and for the temple, which the Romans want to destroy. And if I turn my back on that, who am I? And so the author of of Hebrews says, even though you can't always see it, if you realized what you were a part of, you would never dream of turning your back. And so really the letter of the Hebrews is a letter against apostasy. It's saying, if you realize who Jesus is— then the earthly high priest, Caiaphas, the the heaven the, the earthly temple over on that hill over there, the earthly Jerusalem, the Levitical priests, they're never going to satisfy you. If you've tasted the high priesthood of Jesus, if you've seen what his priesthood is, if you've understood the heavenly temple of his body, the new heavenly Jerusalem that is to come, the problem is you can't see those things. Jesus ascended.
0: And, and the reason why you can't see them is because of fear of death right that's the, a big part of it right right you say like oh man like, like as if this is the big constraint and jesus says no you have already died with me in baptism and have been risen to new life but your response is like but i don't see it like, i don't, I don't feel it
1: right i see I, caiaphas over there he says he's high priest i see that temple right I, it's got brick and mortar i see this jerusalem i see those priests All of this other stuff, like Jesus,
0: he ascended. I don't see him anymore. Right. And I'm told to trust in the Eucharist, but... My gosh, this is hard. Right. Because I though I have freedom and will, yeah. I'm not necessarily experiencing how I'm imaging you in the world. The refiner's yes, fire that's has refiner fire has been set upon me. That's it. But I don't actually see how I am the glory the glory of the Lord who's entered into the temple. Because only the Lord can see his
1: reflection in me. The mirror can't see the reflection that it is.
0: Ooh. It's harder.
1: Interesting. Right? Yeah. I mean I'm speaking of the cuff on that, but so wh- here's what I love about Hebrews. Maybe this is my last word in it. Um, Hebrews is a letter trying to convince people not to commit apostasy. <laughs> right. All right? Don't turn your back on the faith. But at no point does Hebrews say, hey, don't commit apostasy. Right. Because that's not the tact it takes. That's nope. not the way to evangelize. Right. It says, look at the grand vision of what you had entered into. And if you really understood what you were a part of, you would never turn your back right. on it, which exactly. is different than saying, don't apostatize. It says, no, look at the truth of what you are a part of. How can you have anything else? Right. This high priesthood is so much bigger than this high priesthood. Right. This temple is so much greater than that temple. This heavenly Jerusalem is so much greater than that, heaven, than that earthly Jerusalem. This sacrifice is so much more eternal than those earthly sacrifices. And if you see that, you just won't apostatize, which is such a. I think we can learn a lot about evangelization at presenting the beautiful vision of what is right. reality, rather than saying, "Hey,
0: stop doing that bad thing." Right, which is the, you cannot take that tact in the world,
1: and it doesn't work. It, it and that's does why not he. Work. And that's not what the Bible does either. That's not the biblical tact. Right. And so I love. I love that, but that's that's appropriate because it's showing. Okay, what is this temple that we've been putting everything in? This city. All of these things that we've been hoping and praying for the Lord to return to, has he or has he not? Because Malachi said the Lord's going to come back to his temple. We didn't see that. So are we still waiting or are we not? And mm. that, I think, is what takes us to Luke. Mm. And this is the answer to Malachi's question.
0: Right. When the days were completed for their refinement according to the law of Moses. Does yours actually say refinement? No, it doesn't. Oh, okay. <laughs>
1: Because that's actually not quite the right meaning. It, it, in this it really isn't. But, actually, uh, but yeah. I, I want it to be.
0: I do too. And maybe it is. Maybe purification there's something to according to the law of Moses. Well, this is the whole. This is the whole thing. Is that all of the laws specifically regarding anything that had any sense of death around it? A diminution, a diminution of, life. of life was to be purified from. Why? Because and we. Oh, sorry. Go for it. The God of life, the God of the living, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph jacob jacob (laughs)
1: joseph's in there too but he's not he's not a
0: title i was like i'm like it's one of those j terms he doesn't get a title role which by the way if you ever want to abbreviate somebody's name they have to have some sort of j in it like rj pj lj (laughs) like you know what i'm saying pj PJ. (laughs) you need a j in it otherwise like it's just really hard to abbreviate somebody's name like fp sure that's cool for me but it just doesn't like it just doesn't, yeah. Work.
1: I'm not gonna to think too much about that, and I'm just gonna say I agree.
0: Okay, good. So, so we're here. And- but but hold on. One one more thing about that, just because, and I don't want to spend
1: all of our time here. But but it does merit noting. So this comes from Leviticus, which is everybody's least favorite book. Leviticus. But, but it's this idea that if you diminuate life, even if a person has something that diminuates their life, if you if you come in contact with blood or death, you are considered what's called ritually unclean. Right. And I think a lot of us hear unclean and we think of immoral or bad, which is not the biblical meaning. Unclean does not equal immoral. Unclean does not equal bad. Being unclean, ritually speaking, it's not moral uncleanliness. It says basically, if you've actually experienced a diminution of life of some cow, so childbirth, there's a lot of life that comes out of you. Um, you know, if you touch a dead body, if you bleed in any capacity, you are considered ritually unclean. And the idea is if you have
0: pus coming out of your face from your um, zits. Thanks
1: for doing that, man. <laughs> no, that's a brilliant image for to put in people's heads. no but 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 truly, you're considered ritually unclean, which which doesn't mean you're bad, but it means you actually can't have access to the temple for a period of time because the temple was meant to represent the place where life is life, to remind us that death was never supposed to be a part of the scheme of things. And what's funny about this, so a lot of people think they read Leviticus and they're like, oh, my gosh, it's super anti-woman. It's so, you know, it's so um, um, uh, male. What's what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, yes. you know, whatever. Um, Anti-woman. Because, you know, to give birth to a child means you're unclean. To have other flows of blood means you're unclean. But, you know, the reality is the infant mortality rate and the mother mortality rate after birth was so much, I mean, unbelievably lower in Israel than any other ancient Near Eastern civilization. It was remarkable Mm. because what nobody really realized until maybe hindsight is that after a woman gives birth, they're actually not permitted by the law to go into the temple to be around all those people, which meant that newborn babies, mothers who've just given birth, they are basically saved and preserved and protected from all of the diseases and the germs of the outside world until the period where both the mother and the child have a stronger immune system to go back into things. Mm. So the infant mortality rate was nothing in Israel where it was compared to other nations of the world. So God actually uses this to protect his newborn life and his mothers and women. So anyway, it's a bit of a side note, but it's something I think very beautiful about this. But what this is saying is that the Holy Family goes through this period. They have this period of sort of isolation in a certain sense where they're just together and they can't sort of interact with the broader culture until it's time, 40 days after the birth, that they take Jesus up to Jerusalem according to the law of Moses, according to Deuteronomy and Numbers actually is where the specific law comes from, to present him in the temple. And the idea here is simply that in the beginning, right, who were supposed to be the priests of Israel? The firstborn. Yeah, the firstborn sons. And remember, in the story of the golden calf in the time of the Exodus, the firstborn sons who apparently sort of lead the charge in worshiping this idol and doing all these other horrible things, they lose the priesthood to the Levites, who are the one part of Israel that decides to stand up against this apostasy and against this idolatry. And from that point forward, from the golden calf moment in the Exodus story, the Levites become the priest and the firstborn sons lose their priestly identity. And so what Jesus is submitting to here, what the Holy Family is doing, is this moment where Every for every family of a firstborn son is required to go up to Jerusalem to basically pay a tax, a tithe, I suppose, to the Levitical priests who are doing the job that our firstborn son was supposed to do. It's essentially buying him out of his priesthood. Right. And we say, okay, well, I know my son was supposed to have this priestly identity, but he can't because of our own sin. Right. So here is our tithe to you Levites to do the job that my son will never do. Right. Which is, it's one of the most heartbreaking things in Judaism, this idea of the presentation. Now, most people are required to give either a lamb or a a turtle dove or something like that, except if you're poor. And if you're poor, the the offering of the impoverished was turtle doves or pigeons, which is kind of how we know that the Holy Family was poor.
0: Pretty bird, pretty bird. (laughs) That's what they're saying. Yeah, I mean, like, I love the reality that in a certain, the, the firstborn offering their priesthood to the Levitical priesthood.
1: Which is a priestly act. Which
0: is a priestly. To offer oneself on behalf of someone else. <laughs> and, and yet the Feast of the Presentation is the inversion of all of it. Right. Is that, is that uh, right. as the, the Levitical priesthood has taken up yes. and has preserved the priesthood of Israel through... <laughs> yeah, I'm more I rolled my eyes at you when you Yeah, say yeah, yeah, because I know the story. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but, I mean, yeah, but yeah, but I mean, for real. For, I mean, that our, that's what we're talking about Absolutely. in Malachi. Absolutely right. Is it there's is is that there's this this struggle and yet the present feast of the presentation of the Lord is suddenly the Lord comes to the temple, that's it, and takes back up the priesthood of the firstborn. Well,
1: let's take it a step further. Yeah, yes, that uh, 100% amazing exclamation point exclamation point. <laughs> Thanks for and this is spoken punctuation. No, 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 it's true. But this is the answer to Malachi. This is the moment. Suddenly, suddenly. And suddenly. I love the suddenness because... What does it say? Suddenly the Lord will come to the temple, the Lord whom you seek. He happens to be a dirty, impoverished, and I say dirty because they've been on the road. They're traveling. They've come from a faraway place. In, They're probably coming from either Bethlehem or Egypt, depending on where we are on the time frame here, right? right. They had to flee. They're coming from right. far away. They're poor. They're on the road. They're a mess. They're impoverished. And the Lord whom you seek, suddenly... In the last form you'd expect is coming to the temple. And what Malachi said, remember, was he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. Who will endure the day of his coming? Who endured the day of his coming? Simeon. Simeon did. This old man who spends most of his life sitting on the steps of the temple. And I, I always wonder about Simeon. I, I want to have this holy, you know, reverential view of him. But I also, we've seen, you know, the elderly, prophetic, mystic kind of people who I, I wonder if people were like, oh, there's that crazy old man who's always sitting on the steps of the temple waiting for, you know, the end of the world, you know, or what, I don't know. You can kind of put it into a cultural context. And I wonder how people viewed Simeon. Was he this reverential holy man or was he the old man who was a little bit crazy, who is sitting there waiting, w- longing, and he... Nobody else except Anna has the eyes of faith. He is able to endure the day of his coming. And what does he do? He stands when he appears. That's what Malachi says. For he is the refiner's fire. And he, this is the refining. He cuts through all of the other things happening in the temple that day. But he's able to, to sift through all of the activity to see what no one else can see. Right? He refine I mean, he is reflecting God. In that he is able to refine and sift all of the rest of the noise and activity and images to see the impoverished, covered in dust, holy family
0: coming in from the wilderness. Well, and this is and why say, I, that's it. That's why I think he actually probably sang Psalm 24. The, oh, lift interesting! Gate, you know, here lift, lift gates, your, your your head, you lift the gates high. Oh, I hope he did. I Don't just, you hope he did? He, you obviously I, just said you did. I but. think he, I think he spontaneously broke out into it because his oh, eyes hope were, were in that vision, and now all of a sudden he gets to lift high the gates and he's for the of, Lord of Glory who and has is, come
1: to the temple. He's also so well versed in Scripture. I mean, the the words he speaks, he speaks then the it, right? This this prayer that we speak in the liturgy right. of the hours of now you've let your servant go in peace because I've seen the salvation which you have prepared in the sight of every people, a light to the revelation of the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. I've seen the the, the words he uses, the glory of your people, doxa, that, that is the word that is used when the presence of God comes into the temple, into right. Jerusalem at the beginning. Right. And he has the wherewithal, he has the the insight to say, I see the Shekinah, the glory of the Lord right. coming back to the temple. Right. But it's that little baby who's been on the road for a long time from that impoverished family. Right. He is what Malachi is describing. Right. And we are meant to be like Simeons in a certain sense. Right. This is a hard thing to do, man. Yeah. <sighs> well so be like simeon
0: be like simeon and and anticipate how the lord is going to come to you because this and have the sight to see him when he comes but this is this is what's so hard about us is that like we cannot just live in a trigger culture that yeah. says that, "Oh, I'm I'm defeated by everything that comes to me," yeah. Yeah. rather than flipping it around and saying, "Like, no, I'm going to be attentive to how the Lord is in all the things that come to me, yeah. good uh, or in, bad, in the conflict and in the great things." And and the because the glory of the Lord is, and that's why Mary's heart's going to be pierced, right. That's why th- th- that this isn't like Simeon has a vision that like this is the glory of the Lord is not some sort of simple, nice, happy, well, health and wealth gospel. That's a bit. That's a very important. Point. But that, yeah. but then in fact, it's actually a, a suffering, a thing that is so hard to be able to experience. Yes. Um. And but that in the experience of it, the glory of the Lord is there, and that that story is mm. is powerful and profound. Um, hmm. and, and so the Feast of the Presentation is, in oh, a certain sense, it's like we go back to the the temple who has reclaimed the priesthood, the high yes. priesthood, yes. The, the glorious sacrifice of himself for the salvation and the redemption of all of us who have experienced diminution of life hmm. through our own sin, through um, sufferings and through difficulties. And he wants to restore us to the glory that was actually meant to be ours. yes. And uh, and and he does yes. that in, in, and actually restores priesthood beyond just the firstborn, but to all of those who I- engage with him. Because he is the firstborn. The firstborn. Par excellence. And so, and so
1: our entrance into his firstborn son,
0: sonship identity... That's where our priesthood comes from. And we no longer fear death because yeah. of it. Right. We, and we don't have to come to go towards some sort of um, uh, uh, a stringent, uh, stony law, hmm. but that we actually get to go towards the heart of the one who loves us and who invites us into his own priesthood so yeah. that as we sacrifice ourselves, it's effective and powerful That's and it. real and glorious. That's it, man and uh so um uh should be like Simeon, so get your candles and um because it's candle mass candle mass candle mass bless your candles <laughs> and uh, or get them blessed uh, yeah exactly that's what i really meant to say yeah. Yeah, well you're a priest so you can say bless them yeah because that's what i that's do because yeah. i participate in the ministerial high priesthood boom and not merely just the cu- the the custom high priesthood <laughs> <laughs> I've experienced the custom high priesthood <laughs> <laughs> Customize my hot rod. Customize my hairpiece. Yeah, so you guys um, are pretty darn cool, I you gotta say. Indeed. And um, I hope that the Feast of the Presentation of the Lord helps you to understand the restoration of who you are. And then um, as you experience yourself, the did you, did Lord reflect in your life, which is how I know the church to be in these days reflected with the Lord's glory. Amen. We'll see you Bye. next week. Woohoo! Bye.
1: Bye. The Word on the Hill podcast is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org A-I-C-T. And you can find the Lanky Guys podcast at lankyguys.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next time.